We arrive here today to debate at social distances from each other. There's no doubt that the old politics of the two-party system is now gone and over. I don't need lectures from you or anybody on, on the Sinn Féin side of the house. We're very reluctant to kind of say what's red lines, but, but we do have to take climate seriously. There's going to be constant criticism, there's going to be a lot of disappointment, and whoever goes into government is going to be unpopular. Okay. Hello and welcome to Your Politics on a day of some fractious exchanges in the Dáil. I'm Michal Lahan. And I'm Tommy Meskel. And joining us is Gary Gannon of the Social Democrats. Hello, Gary. Hello, Michal. How are you? Good, good. Maybe better than you, given that you spent the morning fighting with the Keown Corla. But before you say a word, let's take a listen. Today we find out, and you may deny it, but it's been told TDs are going to be getting antigen tests for free. That is ludicrous. Completely untrue. It's not untrue. Completely untrue. No, and if you're untrue. going to come in here and make statements or rush out to you the media, scheme, make, or you rush out to the media, deputy, and make statements, no, please, no, get no, facts, please get your facts correct. out to the media? Please get your facts Retract that statement. Retract that statement. Correct. I'll tell you what, tell me about the scheme by which TDs can pay for their antigen tests or you retract that statement. Tell me about the scheme. Tell me about, this, tell me about how I pay for an antigen test. What's the scheme? You're, you're telling people something that's completely incorrect. This is what was conveyed from the business committee. Are they? Yes. This Why is what they? was conveyed. Right. Am I rushing out to talk to the media? Go on, carry on. Are you going to retract that statement? I certainly am not. When am I rushing out to talk to the media? <laughs> Deputy, we're not fools. So, just remember that. When you're asking other people to retract the statement, remember that false equivalent mm. you made there. Explain, Gary. <laughs> well, first and foremost, I didn't rush to the media. It's been several hours in between that exchange. Um, today, from the business committee, it was very clear from all in attendance that free antigen testing wouldn't be made available in two TDs. I found that out at about 12 o'clock today. And I kind of recoiled with horror at the suggestion. It was communicated, which, and it was very clearly happening. And I just felt that such was the level of public anger that would be out there that that's his, that scheme needed to be taken off the table very, very quickly. Um, and it's very clear from talking to a number of people who are on the business committee that that's what was conveyed. There was some, there was some suggestions that TDs could voluntarily opt in to pay in, but I think that suggestion was also dismissed because it was going to be FOIable. So I found that out following the business committee, which I'm not on, but it was conveyed through, was through my party whip and who also raised objections in the meeting and I just felt that it needed to be brought straight into this into the dome as a means of just highlighting that this is totally out of tone with where the public is at and would rightfully lead to accusations of us versus them. Okay and of course it has to be said though that Count Corla did uh, later on say that the suggestion hadn't been made about uh, for members that it was about Leinster House staff uh, and that members that is TDs and senators they would be encouraged to, to buy antigen tests outside the house and if they were to to get them on site, that they would pay for them. That the official position uh, given at a later point, but it, it doesn't tally with what Sinn Féin, uh, yourself, um, what independent TD uh, Matty McGrath understood as well. Uh, and also on top of that, uh, the three uh, government whips uh, writing to the Keown Corla immediately after that business committee meeting saying that the, their members would pay for any tests. Uh, again, they were of the view and they understood uh, at that meeting uh, that tests would be free to TDs and senators and saying that they would pay for it. So clearly that was the impression given to the elected members. So what do you think happened? Um, I think people realised what an absolute disaster this would have been in terms of the optics of it. And the such would be rightfully the public furore that I think it would have undermined all of our positions. I think the 
Kian backtracked. Maybe he misunderstood, but he certainly backtracked on what was the understanding of people leaving that meeting. I know there was one exchange where one TD at the meeting asked maybe TDs could voluntarily opt in. I believe he was told by the Kian himself that this couldn't happen because um, it would lead to FOIs of who opted in and who didn't opt in. So was there was there some suggestion of an honesty box, was that? There, yes, there was a suggestion of an honesty box, could you believe? Look, but this... It would have been, it needed to be called out and called out quickly. And it, I felt I had to do it from the floor of the doll um, yesterday. Okay. And that's probably why it kind of happened so quickly. There was still a little bit of confusion around it. If it's been cleared up now, great. Um, but at that time, there was TDs and senators were going to be given free antigen tests. And look, op, that with the optics of that would have been awful. But the reality on the ground for people that's being conveyed yesterday is, look, people are really struggling at the minute. Um and the fact that we haven't yet got a subsidisation in terms of mass public antigen testing, people are saying, look, how do you expect it to afford this? The point that I was trying to make in the doll today is that 637,000 people in this country are living in poverty. Stephen Donnelly said yesterday we couldn't have free public antigen testing and made a false uh, made a false binary between that would cost us nurses. And, you know, when people are struggling with how they're going to pay for Christmas and now have an antigen test in place on top of that, because everybody understands the importance yeah, of antigen testing, yeah. it just seemed like an, an issue that was important enough to raise. Yeah, and uh, just to say again, just before one o'clock, uh, the statement from the House of the Oireachtas Commission did say that it, the point and the initiative uh, related to Leinster House staff and that it wasn't for uh, elected members. But just on that wider question uh, in relation to antigen testing and the government being adamant that they're going to subsidise those tests, uh, which can be quite expensive, but that they won't be made available free. Uh, why is that the case? Because when it does come to government spending around the pandemic, it, it does seem that money is available and we do know in the budget there's a contingency fund uh, of four billion. Uh, why do you think that there is this insistence that they won't uh, provide these tests free, Gary? I, I can't understand them, Michal. Um, yesterday on Morning Ireland, I believe it was, Minister of Health Stephen Donnelly said that he, re he referenced some debate in the UK bar Parliament where they were criticising overspending on antigen testing. He made this false binary between we can either pay for this or we, that might cost us a nurse. I... Maybe the idea that they have this belief that people may abuse the process or something incredible along those lines. But I can't understand the logic from the government's perspective, but I can genuinely tap into the sense of frustration and fear that I'm seeing in my constituency from people, be they one-parent families, be they carers, people who have always going to be living close to the bone will now be expected to fund even more for antigen testing and be they subsidised or not, they need to be free. Gary, can I just jump in there? Um, we heard as well in the doll calls for antigen tests to be provided for primary schools. Uh, this lunchtime, the education minister has confirmed that that will happen on or before the 29th of November. Are you happy with that? Um, Tommy, I'm happy with it. But, I mean, how could you not be? I've been calling for antigen testing to be used in school on five occasions since September with the Taoiseach himself. So I'm happy with it, but I just can't understand why it's been delayed this long. Um, we have this system there where they're going to be setting up a hotline and um, parents ring the hotline then antigen testing is sent out to them it's well that process being put in place that we're still waiting to November 29th you have to remember the ECDC made a recommendation in July that antigen testing may be needed in schools the Department of Education were communicating with the HSE as early as July on antigen testing in schools and we still didn't have the processes set up in case that eventuality emerged and that for me is just really frustrating and how we are failing to prepare for 
what we were already told may occur in July. And that the fact that these processes aren't set up. Look, I'm, I'm a politician, I aspire to one day be a minister, so I can't see anything else but a failure of leadership here. How did he not believe that we would have needed these mitigation factors in skills? And I, I do believe, and I've raised it <clears throat> a lot, that the absence of mitigations in their skills has left everybody, our skilled community, but then wider society exposed. And antigen testing was just one element in that that should have been long put in place by now. If I could maybe just stick with the theme of um, of schools and also argy-bargies in the doll, because yesterday we saw one between Alan Kelly and the Taoiseach, and it was, you know, we saw Alan Kelly accuse the Taoiseach of telling porkies over whether <coughs> teachers will be exempt from this stay-at-home rule. Where do you fall on this? Who do you think was telling the truth? Um, where I fall on this, it's absolutely ludicrous that teachers and the wider skilled community were trying to find out information from an, uh, a kind of private conversation between Alan Kelly and the Taoiseach. I'm not really worried about who was telling the truth. I'm actually worried about the fact that that was the means by which we were all hanging on trying to find um, communications as to whether teachers would be exempt from this stay at home order of five days. And I just think that's more endemic of another wider problem, which is poor communication on behalf of the government and those that sit around the cabinet table. And I think, look, in the middle of a pandemic, not everybody can be expected to understand absolutely every faucet of what's going on. And lots of lots of us work for 18 months or 19 months now learning on the job. But what's unforgivable is just poor communication. Up until yesterday, having come under substantial pressure from myself, other education spokesperson, I know I on a rare and called for it too, Norma Foley was notable only by her absence around here. So the wider skill community was relying on the information that Alan Kelly may or may not have got from a private conversation with Michal Martin. And then... The information itself wasn't what became important. What became important was the, did he tell a porky pie or didn't he? And I just think it's a farcical situation. And, is it, and the whole skill community and what's happening there is far too important for that to be what, I don't want to say what distracts us, but in the absence of anything else more substantial in terms of communication, that's what we were relying upon. That's ridiculous. Even though it was clarified fairly quickly, wasn't it, that teachers wouldn't be exempt and, and both men, Alan Kelly and the Taoiseach, sticking uh, to their positions around that particular incident. Were you struck, though, and it is more on the lighter side of it all, uh, by the tone uh, with which the Taoiseach addressed Alan Kelly yesterday, that it seemed to be a great degree of hurt there, almost like the teacher uh, was disappointed with a pupil that he thought maybe had some degree of potential, but clearly it had, it had ebbed away. <laughs> it was... Like, I, I, it's difficult to find moments of levity in this whole situation where I just look and go, I cannot believe I'm sitting in the Houses of Parliament here and I've got the leader of the country, the Taoiseach, looking disappointed at the leader of the Labour Party and saying his relationship will be affected long into the future by some conversation they had a day previously. Look, Alan Kelly has a particular style of communication and particular style of centering himself to all stories and look, I think everybody knows that. So, I mean, I wasn't surprised or disappointed by what materialised. What was your sense of the week as it transpired though and the fact that restrictions came back into view, some of them being implemented and a kind of an abiding sense throughout uh, the days and around here as well that more is to follow. Is that your sense of things? Yeah, I think we're back into a phase of things just seeming very gloomy. Um, when it was announced the 12 o'clock curfew on, I mean, it's a restriction in and of itself, it was announced at 12 o'clock curfew on the nightclub sector, like, I mean, 
that's people's jobs, it's people's livelihoods. The nightclub sector opened, the late night sector opened three or four weeks ago, I suppose to a degree of fanfare, but then there was also a huge administration burden placed on nightclubs in the sense that they had to have these online portals where people go on, check in, give their details. You know, it seems, look, again, in the middle of a pandemic, that seems re- reasonable, but we also can't escape there was a huge administrative ask for those nightclubs. We've seen yesterday the reports of figures that actually there wasn't a huge amount of cases that stemmed from nightclubs or late bars, but that's because we weren't tracking it. All those numbers that people gave before they went to their nightclub, all of those tickets that people got, the administrations that the events were asked to set up, nobody was nobody's actually using those numbers to contact them anywhere. And then they were told with two days' notice they had to close down. And then when they have to close down, there was no pandemic unemployment payment put in for the workers who will likely be losing their jobs. Look, it all, it all stems from this idea that we don't really, we aren't really learning. Like it seems a lot like last year. And in terms of guidelines and specifications, so again, I'll go back to normal folios. Quite surprised we were going on radio yesterday talking about telling parents not to have birthday parties or play dates. And it's like... Minister, where's the guidelines in relation to ventilation? Where's the guidelines in relation to CO2 monitors and um, qu- and quality in terms of air filtration devices? And we have this moralising that's happening. So, look, it seems we're back into this space where people are starting to lose a little bit of hope in the sense of what sort of society we are going to have over the next couple of weeks. Seems more restrictions are on the horizon. Case numbers are rising. We don't seem to be applying effective mitigations. Um, People are going to be rushing, understandably, to try get the boosters for groups of concern. But we don't seem to be seeing, there isn't much light on the horizon here. So, I mean, it's a winter that's looking gloomy. The absence of leadership, effective communication, I think is compounding that for people across society. Just Um, on the the nightclub front there, Gary, I know many were thrilled to get back into them, you know, when when restrictions were eased. But then given the announcement this week, we've seen some major clubs uh, in Dublin decide to bring forward their opening times to accommodate that midnight curfew. Would you go to a nightclub at, at six o'clock and would you, what would you say to some of your constituents that might decide to just rock in at the earlier time? Because it's not really within the spirit of, of the, the new restrictions that have been announced, is it? But the spirit of the new, people either apply the law or they don't. If, it's, if, the, if the government feel that these places are unsafe, well then close them and provide the effective supports for those that would lose their, wo- lose their jobs. But simply trying to say that we're going to close them at 12 o'clock thinking that the nightclubs would then just shut up shop. We're placing a huge burden on businesses, on people. Um, the idea of um, individual responsibility takes away from the decision-making expectation that we should place on Taoiseach, the Tarnished and those that sit around the cabinet table. This idea of individual responsibility now just kind of means society turns into curtain twitchers. Who's going to nightclubs and who isn't? Where what we actually need is effective guidelines, um, government to take decisions, stand over decisions, communicate well. If this if this nightclub is to open at six o'clock, here's the expectation in terms of ventilation. We need CO2 monitors in this room. If it goes off, here's what needs to happen. People need guidelines. It's a government job to provide standardizations in relation to what needs to happen to safely keep these places open. And if that can't happen, well then close them. But this idea of just acting like kind of sleeve ins and now it's the nightclub's fault because they're not acting within the spirit of the guidelines. Look Government should take decisions, they should stand over them, they should provide supports where places have to close and to try to rebuild the sense of being all in this together because there has been a breakdown in terms of public trust, public togetherness. And look, I 
I work in politics, so I can't see that stemming from anywhere else but an absence of political leadership. Would you be buying a ticket, though, for this evening? I think it kicks in today, doesn't it? Would you go dancing at six o'clock, right? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants to see me dancing at any time. Um, I'd, look, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so at this point. I think that would be a bit strange for a, to see a politician dancing at six o'clock and <laughs> or a tall man dancing at any point. But um, no, I don't think I will. Even more important, though, the Garrett Brooks concerts in your constituency. What's your take on that, given the permission has been granted for two of them? <laughs> Dan, I, I assure you there will be more than two announced very shortly. Um, look, I, one of my four, I was elected to the City Council in 2014 and my first actions around the area was the Garrett Brooks concerts. <laughs> and uh, So I'm kind of traumatised by them. Look, I, I have a couple of different spectrums and I do think... The area around Crow Park needs a bit of regeneration in terms of economically. I think a lot of the businesses will benefit from it. But if they're going to announce more concerts, they should do it quickly and in collaboration with the local community. I I remember, the look, I do think people that live around Crow Park, those that have objections to the concerts, I think... I understand it. Like if you, you, nobody would want to be locked in their house for five nights a week with people outside the door peeing and all of that comes with it. Um, but if these concerts are going to happen, or if, if there is going to be more of them, let's just be honest with people. Let's actually just start that process quickly because I imagine what will happen is the concerts will be sold out within a couple of hours, as you imagine they will. Garbrooks is strangely popular in this country. Oh, controversial. And then another... <laughs> I've got friends in low places, but um, <laughs> but then there'll be other concerts added, and then people will just think there's a stroke happening here. So I just think Crow Park or whoever else they can need to just be very um, upfront about what their intentions are here. And does the music traumatise you, or would you have any reason my, to hear it? My mother's house is very close to Crow Park, so she'll be sitting out the back and not needing any sort of ticket listening to Garbrooks. She was a street trader during the last concert, so she had all her cowboy hats bought, but she doesn't really do that anymore now, so I imagine she'll just be listening to the concerts, enjoying them. You'll keep a distance, will you? I will be staying as far away as imaginable, with earmuffs on, probably in one of those nightclubs far away where I don't have to hear anything about Garbrooks. Can I just maybe expand things out a bit further and maybe just reflect on the fact that, you know, you're, you're first term TD, Gary. Uh, can I just ask you how, how you've found it so far, and I suppose if there's aspects of the job that you've found most difficult... Uh, what what have they been? Um, I'm, look, I'm enjoying my first term as a TD. I brought my first bill through this week, which aims to standardise the teaching of relationships and sexual education and skills, which we'll be bringing to the second stage next week in the Dáil. And I mean, that's really exciting. And there's an element of just pride within that, that you, me, could effectively change the law and do something you're passionate about. I suppose that for me is just a remarkable experience. Um, one of the things I've found difficult is being a TD during the midst of a lockdown. Like I was somebody who probably came through quite quickly from being on the councils to being a TD. But the manner in which I'd done that, I was, I was always out around Dublin Central, Central, around the constituency, meeting people. And I haven't been able to do that to the extent that I would have likened to over the, during the last 18 months. And I suppose trying to get used to that was very difficult so there will come a time somewhere soon hopefully where I'll be a, can do the TD work I can do the constituency work get back to knocking at doors and kind of meeting people I don't think we'll ever go back to shaking hands anytime soon but all of those sort of things you expect of your politician I'd love to get back there And uh, Gary would it not be easier though if you were in a party where you had only one leader wouldn't that be very oh. way more straightforward yeah, I think we've demonstrated a really different style of leadership where we have a, consen- a consensus-based leadership, two strong female TDs leading the political party of 
predominantly younger people. I think we, I think what we've demonstrated is things can be done differently. They've been done effectively. There's no, for me, I think it works really, really well. I find it very surprising that we're always asked about the two leadership because I think two strong women in positions of leadership, I think, is a great reflection of a mainstream political party in this country. But if you want to go to the boss, do you have to go make two phone calls? Is that is that how it would work? Or Probably in a, tri- no, it's probably, that's probably... Looking at it through a very looking it wrong, yeah, yeah, through a very traditional gaze of leadership. I mean, we're very consensus driven, um, and I suppose that for me is adapting to that style of leadership. Also, I mean, a lot of decisions are taken by the six of us at the parliamentary party, where it's discussion, it's everybody's open to being challenged, and then we set a pathway forward. There isn't this kind of single, unified, strongman leadership. But I don't think that's reflective of a modern twenty-fourth party. We do things very differently, and I've like I I'm learning from it also. I'm very much learning and I think it's a much better way of doing things. Do you see major growth for the Social Democrats in the next election and do you have any ambitions, do you have any seat numbers that you're targeting, anything like that? 18, is it Gary? Yeah, yeah I, I think we should be trebling their seat numbers. 18 would be a minimum for me. Um, but look, I think like I came through the councils and built my profile through the councils and kind of, and what I've seen from the Social Democrats is we're building, we're building branches all over the country. Um, we have really surprising candidates who emerge. People like Holly Kearns. Like Holly was on the council for a year before she became a TD and kind of came out of, like, kind of nowhere politically. And now she's a shining light in Dáil Ireland because there was a pathway within the party where somebody like Holly could emerge and somebody like myself could emerge. And I think you'll see more of that in the Social Democrats. I think we've got a very bright future. I think it'll happen differently to anything we've seen previously in Irish politics. This is very, very like St- Stephen Kenny's vision for the national football yeah, team. Yeah, that's it? exactly it. But we're going to play. We're Social going to Democrats the are the Stephen Kenny version of politics. Yeah, <laughs> get the ball on the ground, play it around, and transform the way we do things around here. It's a slower process, but it's probably more worthwhile. We we'll leave it at that. Gary Gannon, thank you very much. Thank that's you. it. Talk to you again next week. <laughs> <laughs>